life was like a box of chocolates. There is no place like... You talking to me? All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Nobody puts baby in a I could have been a contender. He's looking at you, kid. Here's Johnny. A very particular set of skills. Your milkshake. Go ahead. Make my day. I'll be back. I am the father. I'm Spartacus. Shell off to my little friend. Why so serious? You shall not Welcome to the Real Features Podcast. As part of our coverage of this year's Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, we had the pleasure of interviewing various filmmakers and cast from some of the top films on display. Now, my personal favourite from the festival is a documentary called Love Charlie, The Rise and Fall of the Chef Charlie Trotter, uh, which is based on the life of, of course, American's most one of America's most influential chefs, Charlie Trotter, who was known for being a pioneer of fine dining and uh, has opened multiple uh, Michelin star restaurants across the country. Um, this ex this film explores the highs and, as the title says, of course, uh, unfortunately, the fall and passing of Charlie. Um, but I'm so excited to speak to my two guests today uh, about this wonderful film. And I'd like to welcome the film's producer, Renee Frigo, and Charlie's ex-wife and cast member, Lisa Ehrlich. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. First off, congratulations on the film. Uh, I kind of, before we hit record, I was kind of highlighting that, you know, we do do a top five um, of our favourite films from the festival. And newsflash, because I haven't, we haven't actually recorded that one yet, but this was number one on my list. I absolutely oh loved gosh. it. I thought it was my favourite from the festival, personally. Congratulations on the film. It must be a bit of a whirlwind so far. And obviously the feedback's been pretty, you know, very positive so far. You'd be very happy with that. So. Oh, that's huge. Thank you so much, Paul. That is so exciting. I've got chills and I'm thrilled we're your top five because there's many documentaries for you to choose from. Absolutely. That's a really incredible honor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you 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 wonder if your own story is your story or a story that you live through. Is this so interest is you know, is this of interest to anybody? It's you know, you don't know, or even your old letters and stuff. It just wonder. Would anybody want to watch a movie about this? And then experiencing, first of all, the movie is, um, you know, we were so pleased with how it turned out. But then the response, you know, having people with live audiences come up and um, tell us how the movie impacted them. And then also yeah. through through social media, it's just been, uh, it has been a, a little it's been gratifying and at times overwhelming. <laughs> so. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, I have to admit, I mean, maybe I'm a bit naive, but I didn't know too much about Charlie. But then watching the documentary, it just had had me absolutely glued to the screen from the whole time. And um, just seeing the impact and, and you know, the how much, you know, he, he really did, you know, pioneer so much of, of that industry um, during that time. But, you know, how... Where did, I guess, the idea to, to actually, you know, pull this together and, and make a documentary? I mean, I, I can imagine there's a lot of material there and, and it was probably pretty easy to, to decide to put it, to do it. But, um, you know, how did that start, that, that idea to actually turn this into a, into a you know, feature length documentary? Well, previously to being a filmmaker, I had an olive oil company in America and I brought my olive oil to Charlie 25 years ago and he loved it, put a stamp of approval on it and kind of opened the doors for me to Oprah and all celebrity chefs on television because they all respected Charlie's opinion so much. And so when he did that, I mean, 
it, it changed my life. And, and at his death, I started thinking about, wow, people, you know, how there's certain people in your life that really help you. And what happened to him? And, you know, where is he now? And I had sold the company and I had moved on. And I, I started asking if, why isn't there a documentary about Charlie Trotter? And like, he's, he should be, he's more famous than most of the people who have documentaries about them. He's more important, right, to our history. And so somebody said, well, who's Charlie? I guess you should make it. Like, they didn't know. And I I thought it's such a shame that his legacy is at the risk of, you know, being forgotten. So we, um, we created a short film And that's where I met Lisa because she came to that. Um, I directed it. I wasn't a director, but I needed to do something to honor him and sort of pay it forward after his death. And then when Lisa saw the film and other people saw it, it kind of got its own, um, you know, momentum. And we were able to raise money and hire a proper director like Rebecca Helpburn, who's so amazing. And once we got her on board, we created a feature and that's how we got there. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. And Charlie, you know, narrates a fair bit of the of the film, the way that you sort of piece it together as well. Um, is that from, you know, past interviews or was that something, you know, did he, he kind of, like you said, you know, had an idea that you were planning to do something? Yeah, it was really, no, it was, well, it was, first of all, Lisa can talk about a lot of that because she she was a huge part of creating Chuck the first part of the story of his identity and what he, who he was before he became professional, you know, Charlie Trotter. And we did want his postcards to tell his own story. And he really was such a prolific writer that we could, and he had a lot of tape, you know, we had a lot of recordings. We had a lot of him talking and we had a lot of um, interviews that we could use to, um, because, you know, we we yeah. access to just all of that to put that story together. But, yeah, that's how Lisa was critical to that first first uh, opening of, of who he was and how we could get to know him. Yeah, Lisa, how is that uh, obviously going? It probably would have taken a while to kind of piece together and go through all the, the videotapes and well, things like that, I can imagine. Well, so I, well, most of the, the um, material that I had was, was um, the, the letters and right, postcards. Yeah. And uh, and also I, I had uh, boxes of uh, cassette tapes that he'd cut for me. Um, yeah. So playlists for for uh, the director Rebecca Halpern, who listened to the music while she was working on the on the um, the film. Um, you know, it was uh, I had uh, at one point had an entire wall covered with the postcards um, that that Chuck had sent me. Um, when I was in college and when I took them down, they all still had this museum putty on them, you know, that oh, I'd use to tack them up on the wall and I'd stuck them in a banker's box, a cardboard box. And they'd been uh, lugged around, you know, in a garage from, from place to place that I'd lived for a long time. And it had gotten to the point where it's like, well, I you know, at some point, maybe I got to get rid of these. Yeah, um, but yeah. I couldn't really bring myself to do it, but I hadn't looked at, at them for a while. And and then at Charlie's memorial, and I'd still kept in touch with him. He was an incredibly prolific letter writer, not just to me, but to other people yeah. as well. But the time in his life when he was writing the most was when he was writing to me. And wow. so he didn't write after he opened the restaurant. He just simply didn't have the kind of time that he had um, back in the day. Um, but when I was at his um, at, at at his funeral and at the memorial uh, events afterwards, 
people were sharing letters that he had written them and there was like a glass case with some letters. And I, I mentioned at the time to Ray Harris, who was executive producer on the film, and I had dinner with him uh, after the, the, the service. I said, I've got like over 300 letters in a box. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and then I started to tell him a, a couple stories about our early life. And I think the thing that's interesting, um, because we were, um, I was early in his career, um, though we stayed friends, you know, obviously we were no longer, uh, had the same kind of intensity of relationship. But I do think I have a window into who he was before yeah. he became Charlie. And the letters themselves are so incredible. I, I don't know how Rebecca um, made the choices that she did. Um, yeah. and, and I know it was in a lot of consultation with Renee and the team. And, and we talked a lot um, about the, um, about the sort of the arc and, and, you know, what was, what was true, what felt right about the story because it was really important to us that we tell it with integrity yeah. to, to who he was um meant not varnishing over some of the less you know um yeah. pleasant parts but also to to honor his integrity and his um his love for people yeah because um, he truly knowing him um you just sense how many people he touched yeah, I, that's yeah. the biggest thing for me coming away from this movie. I can't believe how many people. Um, Art Smith, who is at the end of the film, who who talks um, in front of the restaurant when all the candles are up, he's yes. recently he recently told me he said there's not a single restaurant in the United States, a fine dining restaurant, that hasn't been influenced by Charlie. Wow, and I think I've read as well that a lot of his you know understudies and things have gone on you know to do pretty amazing very successful in their own right um do you think that sort of comes down to just you know him as a as a mentor as a teacher as a people person like you said or is it uh you know kind of the high standards and creativity that, or is it just a combination of all that sort of helped it's a force of nature <laughs> you <Yeah>. know he <laughs> really um he believed in, in it, that everybody could excel to their highest potential under the right circumstances. And he felt that it was his obligation to push you there, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> whether it was a diner sitting and eating in his restaurant, he wanted you, he was like, I'm going to make these people have a good time, whether they like <laughs> it or not. So it was, he was on a mission. Absolutely. And, 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 and he wrote in these letters and, and that was the, the biggest like emotional, first of all, it really, I had a huge sense of loss when I opened up the, the box and started reading through the I letters and, and I spent weekend after weekend reading letters and, and which is like, you know, go back to your 20 year old self. It's not, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a moment of uh, massive cringe but at the same yeah. time you know it's like a time capsule you've opened of uh yeah, yeah. All the... <laughs> but but they were a form of a journal and and he wrote his own story and that's actually rebecca likes to say that that charlie wrote the script for this movie other people too not just me but carrie and his yeah. you know his sister his mother um right. norman emerald all the all the folks and his friends robert there are other people in the who i know got tons of letters and he poured his soul out but yeah. yeah it was it it 
it comes through. And so I think he's a net, still an enigmatic person. It's still hard to understand. Yes. I, um, you know, I talk about that in the movie. I still yeah. don't quite get how he ended up where he did. But at the same time, um, I think I at least hope that people come away with uh, some compassion, empathy and admiration for him. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, you definitely in the movie you can kind of see that gradual, um, you know, that intensity that and I guess he's, you know, he's obviously was ingrained in him from an early period where, you know, he, he became to what he was. But how how gradual or how quick was that sort of, you know, intensity where he sort of, I think you say in the movie as well, you know, it, it got to the point where, you know, all he was ever talking about was just the restaurant, even when he was at home, it was sort of just you know, kind of 24 seven, that's, that's kind of all, all that was that, did you, was that sort of a gradual sort of thing? Or was it uh, kind of sped up pretty quickly? I feel like when he opened up the restaurant, it was almost like he fell in love with the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, that was, that was sudden in terms of that, that shift for him to realize, I think it, in what he would say probably is that he understood all of a sudden what it was going to take to do this thing at the highest level. If it meant that there was going to be some collateral damage, like marriages, et cetera. So be it because he, he felt so compelled to have to do this, you know, who's do this thing. He used to say, just let me do my thing. I need to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the same time, the, the, you know, his decline at the end, I think was accelerated by some health conditions and and sure. potentially a series of small strokes seizures related to his um his health so yeah. i noticed all of a sudden in the last five years of his life dramatic uh uh change in the kinds of um our conversations and uh he didn't you know there were things weren't quite as coherent or he, he seemed mm. um, to fixate on things um, yeah much than 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 he i got concerned i, I was yeah. concerned about wow okay I, I found interesting as well that you um correct i can't completely remember which field you were interested in going um professionally yourself but you know you ended up essentially you know dropping your where you wanted to go and you ended up helping him in the restaurant and you know became you know the the floor general essentially um <laughs> in that sort of side of thing so now where, where have you stayed in that industry or, or have you uh you know where where have you yeah moved towards in, in your career as well as my <laughs> well so you know i i pulled out of a joint phd jd program i was going to be a professor of law i did not go back yeah. to they actually didn't let me back in law school i tried to get back in wow they the 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 um committee yes um, that advisory committee for admissions was uh i even had somebody a lawyer who was a good friend of our restaurant who knew the folks on the advisory board yeah right they were, they were really aggravated that i pulled out so wow okay so was that so I went back and I finished up all my coursework for graduate school. Yeah. After Charlie okay. separated. But my heart was was not in it. And it felt in Chicago like the walls were closed in on me. You know, it was just too small of a, a city, at least for, for me at the time, because sure. I was well known and and um Charlie was getting, you know, it just felt like I needed a change of pace. So I moved into I decided I was for a year or so I thought I was gonna just try 
um, my luck in the wine industry. Okay. And, I did notice all the think wine bottles yeah. behind you, if I'm seeing and, that right. <laughs> and, um, and so I ended up moving to Los Angeles and taking a job in sales. And then as I worked um, in sales, I thought to myself, the wineries, you know, I, I, I fell in love with wine when I, when I, when Charlie and I opened up the restaurant and the wineries that I loved so much were struggling to, um, explain to people to do their marketing, explain to people why people should buy their wine. And I, I was out trying to sell their wine and I decided I got to go into marketing. I need to help. So that's yes. what I do now. Right. I, I work with wineries. I've, I've had a long career now as a wine marketer. And, but my mother who uh, is in her nineties still asked me when I'm going to go back and finish up my PhD. So. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the hope alive. Nice. You never know. <laughs> Renee, as well, um, obviously, uh, you know, you, you had some pretty big names in there, you know, that you that interview for this as well, you know, a lot of other chefs and, and you know, other people that worked for Charlie and, and obviously, you know, he, he obviously was a quite a presence, but it seemed from at least watching the film, he was also quite polarizing with, you know, a lot of chefs are at the moment, you look at, you know, Gordon yeah. Ramsay and things like that, but how easy was it, you know, getting those interviews with, with you know, was, was everyone pretty receptive? Because it also felt like it was a quite a community uh, with, with the chefs as well, like, you know, the, uh, and a lot of that sort of industry, but, you know, how, how was it? Because you got, you get some pretty big names in that. Uh, in the yeah, film. well, yeah, one of Charlie's pastry chefs works for Wolfgang, and and we knew Wolfgang really looked up to Charlie um, back in the day, and so we knew he would be if he had the time. We knew it would be great, so that was super helpful that Della Gossett, his executive pastry chef, was Charlie's executive, so we could get because it was during COVID also, so it was very hard to get people to talk to us during COVID, and so we we you know made did certain things with small camera crews and. Um, had followed all the rules to do it. And so we actually had more interviews that we would have done if we could have. Yeah, uh, right. But it worked. It, I guess it worked out for us because it became very focused and very deep instead of like spread out over lots of talking heads. It became more of a intensified interview with everybody. Yes. So it, it, I think it was actually great that we were limited. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely changed. You know, I know at the beginning there was a plan of making it more of a chef's table type, sure, um, a, kind of a, a a feel in the movie. And there had been plans to have all these chefs gather at wasn't it Farmer Lee Lee's farm? Yeah, and, and yeah. Like if we had, if, and, yeah, we would have done like a big end, you know, supper with everybody at the Farmer Lee farm in Ohio and that kind of thing. But yeah, that. I think Rebecca really wanted to do that shoot, but we just couldn't. No one was gathering, you know. <laughs> How supportive were, were was that community to you too, Lisa, during, you know, the, you know, obviously the eventual passing of of, of Charlie, but also, you know, still to this day, sort of, you know, do you find that community still, you know, reach out to you and and still supportive and, and even how's their feedback been from uh, the, the film itself as well? That's such an I'd love to I mean I'd yeah. love to say like just because there are two chefs that have really like been amazing Curtis Duffy uh who who you would think maybe wouldn't talk to us after the clip yeah. um and Rick Tremonto about the whole you know um 
foie gras. So, but they've both been available for interviews and Q and A's and they made their piece with Charlie and the families made their piece and everybody's okay. But uh, yeah, I just, I think everybody's really supportive of the fact that, you know, he was so innovative that you can't deny what he taught them and what he learned from them. And I'm sure Lisa has a more personal response to that question, but I just wanted to sort of give them a thank you publicly like this, because I do feel like um, every chef has been really amazing. Incredibly gracious. Yeah. Yeah. I would that that's even if Charlie said something really, yeah. Even if they had a bad thing or something (laughs) happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting when I moved out to Los Angeles. So I leave out, I leave Chicago and I've got nothing but at the time a Thomas guide, which is there, there wasn't GPS. I had Thomas guide on my lap and I was out there selling mum champagne and a bunch of, you know, other wine. I was working for a company called Seagram's, which isn't, doesn't, isn't around anymore, but um, the chefs in Los Angeles rallied around me and were so supportive I, I wouldn't be where I was I am today without Wolfgang, without Tom Keller, without um, you know there were chefs Patrick Clark who's um, now um, passed but was a friend of Charlie's, and these guys you know first of all they they um, they trusted my judgment about wine, and they wanted you know to help me out and and um, I just really it was amazing and and in fact. You know, I, I was so I was working in culinary, the culinary, you know, wine and food field, and I organized a couple charity dinners, and they all volunteered to chip in. Charlie actually snuck me into a couple events um, to chef to as a sous chef. Wow! And uh, yeah, so I was still kind of in the in the in the world of the, um, you know, but it wasn't the focus really of my of my life, and as I worked up into more executive roles in the wine industry, I felt like I lost that part of my um, my past. And so the wonderful thing about the movie is it's allowed me to reconnect with so many people. And, and it, almost every day I get a message, um, a phone call from someone. Um, and I will say it's kind of interesting, but locally we have a, a Michelin three-star restaurant, Single Thread. And Kyle, the chef, I ended up um, asking about a donation and I ended up w- going back and forth with uh, pages and pages of emails with his experience. And, and it wasn't all easy for him. So he had, he, had, he had some things to get off his chest, but it was just a really interesting conversation. I had so much respect for what each and every one of these chefs has it's taken to get to where they're, they're, they are today. Given the the uh, the current you know climate as well, where you know the economic climate is is obviously kind of flashbacks to you know what you know happened with Charlie as far as the um, you know how he was the economic crisis was pretty bad at that time during two thousand eight, and that's where obviously you know he lost his restaurants, and, and that was sort of the start of the the fall of <clears throat> Charlie losing his restaurants. And at the moment, obviously, we've gone through COVID. We've you know we're going through. Um, you know, rising inflation and rates and things like that. It's kind of almost a, a flashback of that, but it's it's quite amazing to sort of think someone of, of Charlie's, you know, talents that he could, um, given the chance, do you, what do you think, you know, if, if Charlie 
was he planning to sort of kind of rebuild himself or, or you know, retool and, and try and, you know, start a new, a new restaurant again? You know, did he, did he talk about what his plans were um, or, or did he sort of just close in and kind of not talk to people too much during that time? And he, I've talked to Carrie about that. I, I think Carrie always thought he would have opened, you know, a non-white tablecloth type of place that would be super cool. I do think though, part of that sacrifice of becoming the best that, you know, working so hard, but also letting, you have to let so much go along the way in terms of family and marriage and everything, your son and all those relationships were suffered, you know, had suffered because of his dedication that um, it was hard for him to sort of get the motivation to, to recreate and innovate again like yeah. Grant says in the movie, you know, when the restaurant closed, Charlie closed. But we yeah. all think like, wow, he really could have done something amazing and simplified, you know. Um, he had, you know, that episode, that that cooking show, that um, the first one where Emerald's laughing because he's so awkward on camera, he's <laughs> very young. You know, that was yep. for a meal kit. Charlie yeah. was actually created a meal kit in the 90s, like way before um, this was ever uh, a thought, right? Like he was very innovative. And he yeah. also had the Charlie, he also had Trotters to Go, which was like a super high-end, you know, uh, takeaway place. And uh, so he was constantly, you know, recreating and reinventing himself. I don't know, Lisa, we know he wanted to do something like go to a be a, philo a philosopher wanted to go back to school and he was talking like that at least you know yeah I some know, but I mean, I, same same for me I, I'd love to go back and finish up my PhD I didn't think I when he said he was going to go back and get his degree in political science or PhD or oh, yeah. you know I didn't believe that I thought that he <laughs> would I thought he'd take a couple years off and write and 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 um, I, he always wanted to make movies. That's, that was the thing. Really? really wow. When I met, yeah. I, or, you know, I, I, I think I say in the film, I thought he was going to be a politician, but <laughs> one of the things that brought us together when we were undergrad, when, when I was an undergrad was um, I was studying French film and we started going mm. to all these films together. We, you know, whether it was um, Rocky Horror Picture Show or Clockwork Orange, or I can't even you know, begin to tell you the number of movies I saw with him. And a lot of our uh, our letters back and forth talk about the movies that we're seeing. So um, I I don't know what it was, what that other act would have been. I would have loved to have seen him do, we used to joke that Chuck Trotter sounded like a steakhouse. If he could have done <laughs> a steakhouse or something on his level, it would have been yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I just wished... I wished he had had a chance to take a real pause and reset and 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 uh, care for himself and then had had a chance to have another act. And um, that's the tragic, really tragic part, because he was absolutely. so young. When, yeah. You know, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, it certainly seemed like he was so creative that, that uh, yeah, he could have the amount of you just like obviously his skill set was in in you know as a chef but it just seemed like you know especially hearing about his how good he was at writing and things like that you just don't know now knowing he's, he was interested in films and there's a film about him now so you know who knows mm -hmm. like kind of 
it's a shame you know we definitely feel like it's um yeah we lost someone who who knows what would have been next so um and then charities as well I found that interesting at the end of the film that you know we had those charities uh that raised I think it was five million dollars um as well so are they uh they're still going strong and and yeah fantastic yeah the charter product yeah they're still giving scholarships to young chefs and um it's really great we're and we're actually using the film for that for that if people want to use the film for a charitable cause whether it's helping young chefs or helping actually the mental health industry within the hospitality community which has suffered a lot since covid so uh, we have a lot of events like that too fantastic well Speaking of which, um, so if people do want to get tickets to to see this, and Anna, as I said, I absolutely recommend it because, uh, as we said, it is my number one, my favourite film from the festival. So it's definitely one, uh, if you're looking at getting tickets, um, you can get online tickets from www.mdff.org.au. Um, I believe tickets are on sale now uh, for all of July. Um, so definitely go and get those Um Lisa, um, Renee, this has been an absolute pleasure um, speaking to you both. Uh, just even just during this, I found myself lost just hearing both of you talk about mm-hmm. this, you know, such an interesting topic. And um, I've actually watched it twice. That's how interested I was oh. watching this film just because I, yeah, it's just so good. So, um, so thank you so much. And yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us.